0: word of God comes to us from the gospel of John. John chapter 17. John chapter 17 and I'm going to read this morning just the first 12 verses of that chapter. John 17, beginning at verse 1, what we hear now is God's word. When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you. Since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life, to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything that you have given me is from you, and I have given them the words that you gave me. And they have received them, and have come to know in truth that I came from you, and they have believed that you sent me. I am praying for them. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost, except the son of destruction, that the scripture might be fulfilled. Here we are in the reading of God's holy word. I'm going to read also from the back of our Psalter hymnal, from page 99 in the back of the Psalter. This is Canons of Dort. Uh, Head of Doctrine 2, which is entitled, The Death of Christ and the Redemption of Men Thereby. And I'm going to read just the first three articles uh, of this second head of doctrine. Article 1. God is not only supremely merciful, but also supremely just. And his justice requires, as he has revealed himself in his word, that our sins committed against His infinite majesty should be punished, not only with temporal, but with eternal punishments, both in body and soul, which we cannot escape unless satisfaction be made to the justice of God. Article 2. Since, therefore, we are unable to make that satisfaction in our own persons or to deliver ourselves from the wrath of God, He has been pleased of his infinite mercy to give his only begotten Son for our surety, who was made sin and became a curse for us and in our stead, that he might make satisfaction to divine justice on our behalf. And Article 3, the death of the Son of God is the only and most perfect sacrifice and satisfaction for sin and is of infinite worth and value, abundantly sufficient to expiate the sins of the whole world. Well, we have been studying together uh, the doctrines of grace of the Christian faith. Uh, Those doctrines of grace, the heart of the gospel, they are codified for us uh, in the canons of Dort, But as uh, I've said a number of times already, um, these doctrines are not limited to the canons. They are not Calvinistic doctrines. They are not Protestant doctrines. These are biblical doctrines. The truth of the Word of God and His grace toward His people. We have spent a number of weeks dealing with Head of Doctrine 1 and Unconditional election. We have seen that election is not based on any condition, on any foreseen faith we might have, but election is based solely on the good pleasure of God. He has chosen a people for his very own, for his honor and for his glory. And we saw last time how that truth encourages us, drives us toward evangelism. To share the truth of the gospel that all of God's own might be brought in. God not only determines the ends of salvation, but also the means of salvation. This morning, we move on to the second head of doctrine. If if we consider head of doctrine one telling us the what of salvation, God's unconditional election, Head of Doctrine 2 tells us the how of salvation. How did God choose to redeem a fallen people? And we see that God's, God's salvation which he brings is through the atonement made by Jesus Christ. Now children, atonement I'm sure is not a word that you use very often. You don't say to your brother or sister, let's go make atonement. You don't do that. But if we look at the word atonement, what it means is really very simple and and kind of found in the word itself. The beginning of the word atonement is the two words at one. At one. And that's fundamentally what atonement is. We are being made at one. There was a break between a holy God and an unholy man, and we need to have that break remedied, and God, through Jesus Christ, will make us at one once again. That's what we mean by atonement. So if you have your sermon notebooks out and you're tallying the words I say, listen for the word atonement, because you're going to hear that many times this morning. The second head of doctrine deals with a truth that has been referred to as limited atonement. Now, some people don't like that word. Uh, limited with regard to the atonement. Some use the word uh, particular redemption or definite atonement. Uh, these are all synonyms. Uh, historically, we've, we've taken the term limited atonement, and so we're going to kind of stick with that um, for today. Uh, the question of the atonement is this. For whom did Christ die? For whom did Christ die? And children, you say, Well, Reverend Emeyer, I know the answer to that, because I learned a memory verse, John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Well, Christ died for the world. And kids, you would be right. That's what John three sixteen says. Maybe you recall. What, uh, what uh, John says when he sees Jesus, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Jesus died for everyone. Jesus died for everybody. Jesus died for the whole world, all of us. And the trouble is, If we say that Jesus died for absolutely each and every person in the whole world, we place ourselves squarely behind Arminius. Arminius who would say, yes, Jesus came to make salvation possible for each and every person in the entire world. That's not the position taken by the canons. That, more importantly, that's not the position we find in Scripture. It is this point, this second point, uh, limited atonement, that makes people uh, a so-called four-point Calvinist. They like Calvinism, they like the doctrines of grace, but limited atonement, they just cannot abide. And so they say, I'm a four-point Calvinist. Well, if we spent more time, we would see that you cannot consistently pull one point out uh, from all the others. Jesus came for his own, and only for his own. He came for a particular, limited number of people. And lest you think this was only a controversy uh, back when the canons were written, some of you remember uh, a controversy in our former denomination back in the 1960s. so-called love of God controversy in the seminary where a professor said Christ died for absolutely everyone. And that love of God controversy had to be settled. Did Christ die for absolutely everyone? This morning we're going to talk about the nature of the atonement. For whom did Christ die? I know that you don't have the outline in front of you, so there are three points uh, to the sermon this morning with regard to the nature of the atonement. First, it's absolute necessity. Second, it's vicarious character. And third, it's limited extent. The absolute necessity, the vicarious character, and the limited extent. Why was the atonement being made at one, why was it necessary? Well, first of all, the atonement is necessary because of who God is, because of His nature. God is holy. God is righteous. God is pure. God is perfect. God is light, and in Him there is no darkness at all. God is a God who is too righteous to even look upon sin. This is the nature of our God, holy, righteous, and perfect. And this God is just. If we are to be made at one with Him, a fallen sinner and a holy God, satisfaction to God's justice is required. Again, from Article 1, In the second head, God is not only supremely merciful, he is also supremely just. And his justice requires, as he has revealed himself in his word, that our sins committed against his infinite majesty should be punished, not only with temporal, but with eternal punishments, both in body and soul, which we cannot escape unless satisfaction be made to the justice of God. God is perfect, holy, righteous, and just. And because of who He is, atonement has to be made. Satisfaction must be made. The atonement is necessary because of who God is and because of who we are. Now we know that man in his creation was created in the image of God. He was made in true righteousness and holiness. This was his original pristine state. But he did not retain that righteousness and that holiness. Man, through his own willful, sinful disobedience, would reject the way of God, and would plunge not only himself, but the entire human race into sin. That's what we read in Romans chapter 5. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. Through one man, death came not only to Adam, but to all of his posterity, the entire human race. And therefore, if there is to be satisfaction made to God's justice, some, some human must pay for the sins of humanity. We know no man can pay for his own sin, much less the sin of any others. That is why Jesus came. We read that glorious truth in the book of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 2, beginning at verse 14. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death, that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Jesus Christ had to be made human that he might be a great high priest and that he might offer a perfect sacrifice on behalf of Of his people. A sacrifice, we read here, which was a propitiation. A propitiation, again, just a big word, means a sacrifice to cover the wrath of God. God's holy wrath against fallen mankind. And yet, Jesus Christ comes and offers that perfect sacrifice, that complete propitiation, and the wrath of God is covered. He came to accomplish. The atonement, making man and God at one because of who God is, because of who fallen man is. And so we see that the nature of the atonement is vicarious in its character. Again, kids, a big word, vicarious. It just means someone else did it. Vicarious means someone else did it. Man could not make atonement on his own, someone else had to do it. And how was that that atonement made? Who else did it? Well, we see throughout the Scriptures that to make atonement between God and man, blood had to be shed. Blood had to be shed to make atonement. Think back to uh, Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. Adam and Eve choose... To disobey God, choose to go their own way, and when they realize their sin, what did they do? They sewed garments of fig leaves to try to cover themselves. But God says that is not sufficient. God comes and He makes coverings for them, garments of skins. Blood was shed that man could be covered we could spend a whole sermon just on that the blood through the garments of skins was so man could be covered and the beginning of that fellowship restored we see that blood being shed throughout the Old Testament the sacrifices of goats and bulls and lambs and the bloodshed and the bloodshed and the bloodshed again and again and again to make atonement, Not, not man's blood being shed but a vicarious atonement, someone else's blood, the animal's blood being shed, as a picture of man's atonement. And we see all of those pictures coming to their perfect fruition in the work Of Jesus Christ he came to make the final atonement the perfect atonement again from the book of Hebrews this time chapter 9 Hebrews 9 verse 11 but when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come Then through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is, not of this creation, he entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption." What our author is telling us is in the Old Testament, all of these uh, shedding of blood, the blood of goats and bulls, simply couldn't do the work. It was a picture of the coming of Christ, the one who really did the work, who shed his own blood, that we might be made at one. How much more this perfect offering, this complete offering, the blood of the Son of God to make atonement, eternal redemption for God's people. That's what we read in Article 2 of the second head of doctrine. Since, therefore, we are unable to make satisfaction in our own persons or to deliver ourselves from the wrath of God, he has been pleased of his infinite mercy to give his only begotten Son for our surety, who was made sin and became a curse for us in our stead that he might make satisfaction to divine justice on our behalf. Jesus Christ came to shed his blood, the perfect sacrifice, satisfaction on our behalf. The vicarious character of the atonement. Someone else did it because we could not. That someone else was God's own son Jesus Christ, his blood shed, that we might be made at one, atoned for by Jesus Christ. This glorious atonement, this atonement which was necessary because of who God is and because of who we are, this glorious atonement which is vicarious in its character is also Limited in its extent. Now, sometimes when we talk about limited atonement, people get the idea that, that look, Jesus didn't do enough. There is a limit to the atonement because Jesus' death wasn't quite enough. If only Jesus had suffered a little bit more, he could have redeemed more people. There is no limit in the power of the atonement. Jesus Christ's death was completely sufficient to cover the sins of the whole world. Christ did not have to suffer anymore to save any more people. His death was sufficient for the sins of the whole world. He did not have to suffer anymore to save any more people nor would he have suffered any less if he had saved only you Christ would not have suffered any less if he had saved only you his death is completely sufficient. Sufficient to cover the sins of the whole world. Again, from our confession, article 3. The death of the Son of God is the only and most perfect sacrifice and satisfaction for sin and is of infinite worth and value, abundantly sufficient to expiate the sins of of the whole world, infinite value, the work of Jesus Christ. There is no deficiency in the power of the atonement. It is sufficient for the sins of the whole world, but it is efficient, effective for the elect only. And we have been talking about election. For the last four sermons together, God making a distinction. That's election. And we see that same distinction going on in our text this morning, John 17. God makes a distinction. 17 verse 1. When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven. And said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that the Son may glorify you. Since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. To give eternal life to all whom you have given him. Not all each and every person head for head, but all whom you have given him. That's made more distinct in verse 6. I have manifested your name to the people you gave me out of the world. Not the whole world. Those whom you've given me out of the world. And then even more particularly, look at verse 9. I am praying for them, I am not praying for the world, but for those whom you've given me, for they are yours. I am not praying for the world. A distinction is being made. Those whom God has chosen. Those whom the Son has been sent to redeem, to save, to make atonement. But not the world completely. Those out of the world. The work of Christ was sufficient for the sins of the whole world, but efficient only for the elect. Now, next week, we're going to deal with some of those texts that are maybe coming to your mind right now. Well, what about John three sixteen? 16? Uh, the sins of the world. What about God wants all to be saved? And we're going to do next week those all texts and those world texts and look at them very carefully together. For today we notice that God makes a distinction. Verse 4, I have glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. The Son is given a particular number from the Father and the Son comes to perfectly complete that work. He glorifies the Father by making atonement for those whom the Father has chosen. He finishes the work. A complete work. A total work. I've accomplished the work, he says. Jesus did not come To make salvation possible. Jesus did not come to make an offer of salvation. He did not come to say, I will do my part, now you better do your part. He came to perfectly complete the work of atonement by the power of his sacrifice for each and every one of his own. Perfectly accomplishing redemption. That's the work of Jesus Christ. That's the work of atonement. Perfectly accomplishing redemption for each and every one of his own. Because if Jesus came just to make salvation possible, if Jesus came just to make an offer, then it is possible that absolutely no one would accept, no one would be saved, and he would have done this work of redemption for no one. The sacrifice of Christ is of infinite value, perfectly sufficient to redeem each and every one of his own. In the canons, after the uh, statement of the truth in the various heads of doctrine, there's a section called the rejection of errors. What's the error that we reject? We read this, the true doctrine having been explained, the synod rejects the error of those who teach that God the Father has ordained his son to the death of the cross without a certain and definite decree to save any. So the necessity, profitableness, and worth of what Christ merited by his death might have existed and might remain in all its parts complete, perfect, and intact, even if the merited redemption had never, in fact, been implied, applied to any person. We reject those who would say that God sent His Son simply to make an offer, but never had a certain definite persons in mind. We limit the scope of the redemption. We do not limit its power. Sufficient for the whole world, efficient for the elect. And and in truth, everyone, Calvinists, Arminians, everyone limits the atonement in some way. Either we limit the power of the atonement, Jesus came to make an offer, or we limit the extent of the atonement, He came for a particular number of people. Reformed theologian Lorraine Bentner uses the picture of a bridge to describe the limit of the atonement. Imagine children, That there's a great valley and God is on one side of that and man is on the other side. And there's no way to get across. The Arminian says, God constructed a bridge that is wide enough to hold each and every person in the entire world. But that bridge only goes part way. And there's no way to go the other part. A limit on the power of the atonement. God makes an offer, but He doesn't really save anyone. It's up to you, but you cannot save yourself. Either we limit the power of the atonement, or this picture. A great valley with God on one side, a man on the other. And God constructs a bridge that is wide enough To hold each and every one of the elect. And that bridge goes all the way from man to God. A limit of the extent of the atonement, not its power. Everyone limits the atonement in some way. We do not limit the value of the sacrifice of Christ, it is of infinite value. For he came to perfectly accomplish salvation for each and every one of his own. It's a glorious truth. It's a humbling truth. That Jesus Christ would leave the glories of heaven. That he would come to earth to, to bridge that gap. To make atonement for his people he would not have had to suffer one whit more to save anyone else he would not have suffered one whit less if he saved only you what assurance what comfort a savior who accomplishes complete redemption a savior who perfectly does the work god gave him to do nothing left for you to do christ has done it all Simply believe in the work he has accomplished. Simply put your faith, your hope, your trust in this powerful Savior, the one powerful enough to redeem the entire world, the one efficient enough to redeem each and every one of God's chosen. Put your faith in him and know the assurance of salvation. The assurance of a Savior who has accomplished the work God gave him to do, who has made atonement for each and every one of God's chosen people. Let's join together in prayer. Lord our God, you are great and you are glorious, and we are in awe, in awe of your work of redemption. We are humbled. That you would send your Son to die for sinners such as us. That he would offer a sacrifice of infinite value, which would be applied to each and every one of your chosen. Lord God, we thank you for the full redemption, the complete atonement he has given to all of your own. May this beautiful truth, may this biblical truth, humble our hearts before you and give us a great joy in salvation and a great assurance in salvation that we can know we belong to you, body and soul, in life and in death because of our faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. Lord God, thank you for this word. Thank you for applying it to our hearts. May we we rejoice this week in what you have done for us. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.